Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message from our special guest speaker, Pastor Brett Esslinger from Saints Church. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Uh, what's in a name? What's in a name? I, I was sharing a little bit earlier during the dedication um, in the Old Testament era, the power of a name, that it was a declaration over somebody, that when you said their name, that you were declaring those things. Uh, once again, sorry, I should, I should introduce myself. My name is Brett. Uh, not from here. I'm not from these parts. Uh, I'm from St. Church in Edmonton's First Grove, uh, but we love you, and we love Kingdom Church, and we love everything that God is doing. And as I said what it was six years ago, and I say it today, that we're 100% behind you, and we love what God is doing. And I'm here with my incredible wife, Desiree. Uh, come on, somebody. And then uh, we have, naturally, we have two sons, Everett and Kingston. And uh, Everett is 11, Kingston is 8. And uh, when we were naming our boys, we tried to be very intentional, understanding that we were declaring something over their lives. So Everett's name is Everett Israel Cruz, which means one who fights for the honor of the cross. So every time I say his name, I'm declaring over his life that he's one who fights for the honor of the cross. Our, our, our son, Kingston, his name's Kingston Timothy Bryan, strength and honor to the king. So every time I say his name, I'm declaring uh, those things over his life. And they know the meanings of their names, and, and they know these things. But uh, I would suggest today that, that many of us don't actually understand the power that is in the name of Jesus. That we don't understand the power and the authority that comes in the name of God. So t- today we're just simply going to ask a question, what is in a name? What's in a name? In Exodus 3, there's this moment that happens where God shows up to Moses in what I would call a peculiar fashion. Uh, Exodus 3, if you've got your Bible, who's got a real Bible? Who's got a paper Bible here today? Uh, Wow, not many. Okay. Now, you just struck a nerve. Uh, You know, when we hit about 40% Bibles in the house, we're at revival levels. That's generally how it goes. Uh, But you go, listen... Pastor, I, I don't bring my Bible because I don't bring my Bible. Uh, well, here's my suggestion to you. Start bringing a Bible and a notebook and a pen to church and, and start getting into the, the paper version uh, so that you know where things are in Scripture. Uh, because percentages, if we're going just playing the odds, if we're playing the percentages, most Christians, we're living in one of the, the lowest eras of biblical literacy ever in humanity because most Christians don't understand where anything is here because we, we use phones and phones are amazing and I do my devotions on my phone. But if, if I don't ever open a Bible, I will never know how to use it. I will never know where to find it. And here's the amazing thing. When you, when you think that when you take your, you're taking notes in church that you're writing down the things that the pastor says, that may or may not be true. But often what you're also doing is you're writing down what God is speaking to you in those moments. And as you write them down and you've got a date and a time on it, God speaks to you about something, you can actually begin to document and record the faithfulness of God. 
so that you can look back and say, God said to me this on this day at this time, and he spoke to me, and he spoke to my heart. And then when you're going through a difficult season, you can go, this is what he said, this is when he says it. Then when you come all the way through on the other side, you go, look, I can celebrate the faithfulness of God because I recorded it, I wrote it down. Otherwise, it becomes an anecdote, and you think, ah, man, I think maybe at some time, maybe. And then here's the best part. You get the greatest thought of all time. God speaks to you like, oh, I could never forget this. You literally go to the restaurant and order lunch and you've already forgotten. And you're like, how could I forget this thing? It's because you're a human. And so this is why we, we, we you take these tools seriously. And we understand that this is a gift that people gave their lives that we could have scripture. And uh, so I'm just, that's just my, that's my, I'm going away. Like I'm not, I, after this service, I'm gone, uh, you know, for another four months. And so then, uh, you know, Pastor Harrison has to deal with this and I don't. So we just, we just bring our Bibles and we bring a notebook and we bring a pen and you go, it's too dark in here. Uh, use the light on your phone. Because you're using it anyways. And this service, like if you use the Bible on, on your, your phone and you're a man, you're also checking the scores. And so, you know, you're like, football's already started. It's like, listen, let's just eliminate the distractions, get into the word. Anyways, that's my rant because I can. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Exodus chapter 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of a bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Dr. Timothy Keller was sharing of a mid-century British novelist. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. She used to write crime novels. Anyone like crime novels? She wrote these crime novels, and, and, and she wrote a series of these novels, and by about the, the, the fifth or sixth one of these novels, uh, it, it was kind of noted that the protagonist, the main character, the detective, he was kind of living a bit of a lonely life. And so by novel number six, all of a sudden, a love interest appears. It is not good for man to be alone. This is true in real life, and it's true in fiction, apparently. And so Dorothy Sayers wrote... In this character, and the critics started writing in the newspaper and in the reviews that they noticed that the characteristics and qualities that were found in this female love interest happened to be the same characteristics and qualities found in Dorothy Sayers. It was said that she literally wrote herself into her novel to be the perfect partner for her protagonist. She wrote herself into the story. It is my suggestion today that God has been writing himself into our story, the story of humanity since the beginning of time. In Exodus 3, he writes himself into Moses' story when he shows up in a burning bush. What do we understand or know about Moses from this reading of Scripture? We understand that Moses was a pyro. He loved fire. Because God knows Moses, he's like, what's going to get his attention? He's in the middle field. What is something that he loves? What is something that he cannot just walk by? What is something that he cannot go, oh, that's interesting, and he just keeps moving? What is going to stop him in his tracks? So he lights a bush on fire, and it does not burn. And Moses 
sees it, and he says to himself, this is amazing. This is amazing. I must go see this burning bush. This is amazing. I have to go see. Do you ever read the Bible and you just like read it like this? Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses says to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. No, this is amazing. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. That's what happened. That's the, he's like, I can't stay away. This bush is on fire. How is that bush on fire not burning? I love to light things on fire. God writes himself into Moses' story to show up in a way to say, listen, I'm everything you've been hoping and dreaming for. I know you. I understand you. I know you by name. I know your likes. I know your interests. I know your characteristics. And I'm writing myself into your story so that you can step into the purposes and plans that I have for you. The truth is God, the creator of the universe, knows you by name. Scripture says he knows the number of hairs that you have or are departing. And he knows all of those things and he knows all of those. I'm literally considering hair transplants. He knows, he knows all of the things about you. And he is writing himself into your story. He is going, I'm right here. I'm literally right here. Did you know I'm right here? I'm closer than you think. And then, did you see, as Moses walked a little closer, he's like, I need to take a closer look. God called out to him and said, Moses, Moses, it is my suggestion to you today that there are things in your life that God's going, hey, I'm right here. And as you just get a little closer, He's going to call out to you, and he has been calling out to you. And you're like, what is this thing in my heart that is drawing me, that's pulling me forward? Maybe you're like, I'm not even a church person, but I just love being here. I love being near. It's because God's going, hey, i got a plan and a purpose for you. Hey, i got a direction for you. Hey, I'll, i got freedom for you. i got hope for you. I, I know your name, and I want you to know my name. James 4, verse 8 says this, come closer to God. Come close to God. He will come close to you. Now, I think sometimes we read this and we go, God, that's the other way around. You should come close to me, then I'll come close to you. Can I just remind you that he has been coming close to humanity since the beginning of humanity? When he walked and he talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, he kept showing up from day one, from every moment. He kept showing up from a burning bush to a pillar uh, of fire or in a cloud by day. He kept showing up. He kept showing up time after time. The truth is, humanity read the text and we left him on read. Time after time, generation after, there's a whole book of Hosea where it just tells the story of a husband and wife and a wife that just keeps leaving her husband uh, and, and he just faithfully pursues here. That is our story. That is the story of you. That's the story of me. It's the story of humanity. It's the story of our relationship with God where he is like, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm writing myself into your story. He says, come close to me and I'm going to come close to you because I'm already closer than you think. And when you come close to me, you'll realize I've been right here the whole time. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. (laughs) Got him. Purify your hearts. And then he nails this between the eyes. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If that doesn't sound like a diagnosis for humanity, I don't know what is. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I wonder what your life might look like 
you're able to devote your whole heart to following Jesus. I'm so torn. I'm so torn by my interests. I'm so torn by the things that I love. I'm so torn by what I think success looks like. I'm so torn to pursue all these different things. I wonder if what my life could look like if it was truly the pursuit of relationship with creator of the world. I wonder if there is a different degree of contentment or satisfaction that might come in my life if my life's focus or priorities were realigned. As we wrestle with the question, what's in a name, we first need to ask the question, who is God? Who is he? Who are we talking about? He has a name, Yahweh or Jehovah or I am. These are the Old Testament names of God. Today I want us to think about the God of the Old Testament because many of us are like, we like Jesus in the New Testament. He seems to be a nice guy. He does good things for people. He helps people out. But this God of the Old Testament, he seems angry. And he, I just don't know if I can get on board with this God of the Old Testament. Can I tell you that they're the same? That there's a striking family, family resemblance, that the God the Father, uh, there's God the Father, there's Jesus who is the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. The best analogy for the Trinity that I can give you is the A-team, if you know who the A-team is. God the Father is Hannibal, who's got the plan. Jesus Christ is the face, and the Holy Spirit is Mr. T. He brings the power. That's just how they work. That's just how they operate. But there's a striking resemblance between Jesus in the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, there's a passage of Scripture. You can read it later on your own time. It's your homework for the week. For everyone who didn't bring a Bible, you get to read Exodus 34. And it's the self-revelation of God. He passes by Moses. See, later, after this burning bush moment in Exodus 3, we find in Exodus 33 that, that Moses would speak with God as one speaks to a friend. That God would speak to Moses as one speaks to a friend. And that his assistant Joshua would hang out in the room so he was learning what it was to have a personal one-on-one relationship with God. The truth is that it's important that you have a relationship with God, but it's also important that you're bringing someone else on that journey with you. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses utters these words. God, it's a prayer. Show me your glory. As if to say, show me the weight of who you are. Show me the substance of who you are. Show me the wholeness of who you are. Show me, I want to see everything. I want to backstage pass. And God says, if you look in my face, you're going to die. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a rock. And I'm going to put you in this crack. And I'm going to pass by you. And my goodness will pass by you. And as God walked by, and, and Moses experienced the fullness of his glory and his presence, which I'm sure is overwhelming. God started yelling and describing who he is. He says, I'm Yahweh. This is my first name. This is who I am. He starts to describe himself. Exodus 34 is the most quoted scripture by scriptures, period. Fun fact. Because it was revealing the character and nature of God. In fact, you fast forward to John chapter 1 when it's introducing Jesus as a character on the scene. They quote Exodus 34 when they say that Jesus is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. As if to say it's the family resemblance. So you might think that God is angry. I think he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So who is God? There's so many ideas about who he is, but... Let's look at this, Psalm 68. Psalm 68, I love the Psalms because David is a legend in his own right. Uh, If you've ever wondered if God has favorites, he does. 
His name is David. It's literally documented in scripture. In Acts 13, 22, it says, David was a man after God's own heart. As if God's like, listen, he's the best. You know, you think he's the best because he killed giants. You think he's the best because he was a king and a successful king. You think he was the best because he wrote all these bangers called Psalms. God thinks he's the best. Why? Because he did anything that he asked him to do. That's what it says in Acts chapter 13. You know the difference between heaven and earth? We pray, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever wondered what you're praying? The difference between heaven and earth is simply this. Obedience. See, in heaven, when God speaks, angels respond. Everyone responds. Everything happens. On earth, God speaks. We're like, well... I'll see if I can fit my schedule. David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm thankful for this because David made some significant mistakes. Yeah, he took out giants and he married a princess. But then, you know, he saw a naked woman, killed her husband in battle, stole that guy's wife. So he's got his own flaws and he's got his own mistakes. But the amazing thing is that Scripture says that God is faithful and just to forgive. That his mercies are new every morning. And so I'm thankful that David could still be a man after God's own heart after making some significant mistakes because Jesus isn't fooling around when he says that your sins are washed away. So David is giving us an insight into the person, into his friend, God. He's giving an insight. Who is God? Psalm 68.5 says, He, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So in his dwelling place, in, in the heavenly realms, what is God at his core? He is father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. In, in all that to say that he loves those who are the most vulnerable, that he cares about those who are the most vulnerable. Therefore, if our heart is going to beat for the things that his beat for, we should care for the most vulnerable. That's why here at Kingdom Church, Generosity Project exists. So that we can serve the most vulnerable. Why? Because it's what God wants us to do. It's whom he loves. It's whom he wants to protect. And so we are moved for the things that move his heart. If we want to look like him, if we want to talk like him, if we want to sound like him, we act like him, we do the things that he does, and we love whom he loves. The father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Verse 6. So what then does God do if we know who God is? What then does God do? Verse 6. You still with me today? It says, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Another translation says that God places the lonely into families. That's what he does. He places the lonely into families. That's why we're here right now. God is establishing this family. So we're creating a place where people can come and gather and they can be part of the family of God. That's why, that's why we're here. He places the lonely into families. What I really want to do, though, is I want to focus on this one line. And it's an exciting line. It's probably going to get me in trouble. So please direct all of your questions to Pastor Harrison following the service. It says this, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. 
Scripture is clear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, any of us who are separated from Jesus, any one, any one of us who are separate, we're actually living a life of a prisoner. We're trapped and bound by our, our own sin and by our own shame with no way out. There's no mechanism out except for Jesus. So we are prisoners. So what does he do? He takes the prisoners and he leads us into prosperity. If you've been around church for some time, you go, listen, you can't say, Pastor, you can't say prosperity. You can't say that. Because now we think of like flashy things and we think of like, see, you turn to your wife and say, this is why we couldn't come here. I told you it was all about the money. No, that's your twisting of a Bible word. So what I want to do today is I want to redefine what that prosperity is in light of who God is. And we're going to use the scripture to do it. Why? Because scripture interprets scripture. It's the best commentary that you can find. So this is what God does when you become a child of God. When you give your life to Jesus, he leads you once as a prisoner out into prosperity. We, we understand this because in John 10, 10, we know that, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I came, Jesus came, that they might have life in life more abundantly. That's what he's here, to give you life and that you would have it more abundantly. That word in, 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 in Greek is zoe. It's like life life, like life squared, like exponential life. If, you're li- if you are discontented with your life, it's because you are living life on a, on a strictly physical plane and you have lost the spiritual dimension. You have not captured the spiritual dimension. You are body, soul, and spirit. You are made up of three parts. You are a trichotomous being. But most of us live strictly in the soul realm. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. But when you follow Jesus, he wants you to have a a rich and abundant life, another translation says. And part of that, he does that by unlocking this whole spiritual side of who you are. And that spiritual side, now, there's a constant tension in Galatians 5 and 6. It says, my flesh is at war with my spirit. There's this wrestling with what this means. But he takes us as prisoners and he leads us into prosperity. This is how he does that. This is how he does that. Romans 6, we're just establishing that we're all sinners. Romans 6, 17 says, once you were slaves to sin. So once you were a prisoner to your own sin, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he's setting you free so he could lead you into prosperity. That's, that's, the, that's the premise. So what is prosperity? First thing, let's define it. First thing, if you're with me, say, I'm with you. First thing. This is, this is what prosperity looks like. I become relationally rich. I become relationally rich. Think about that verse. He takes the lonely, lonely and he places them into families. I become relationally rich. He gives me a seat at his table. So, who can I invite to my table because he has invited me to his that's the question. As I'm on a journey to becoming relationally rich, what, what, we love it when somebody provides a place for us. Am I willing to provide a place for somebody else? Can I tell you that providing a place for somebody else generally costs you something? Have you seen the price of groceries these days? <laughs> Inflation is no joke. It's going to cost you something to, pr- to, to provide a place. You know, when you're building teams... You know, like here in church, we build teams. Every time somebody else joins the team, it costs the leader something. 
because it costs them an opportunity. It costs them a spot. It costs them uh, an opportunity to use their gift, talents, and abilities. But what a leader does, when the, what, what a leader does, they recognize that they are willing to make a sacrifice because the whole will be better. And so you lay that down. So I am willing. I become relationally rich, but it costs me something. It's an invest. I'm sowing a seed. It's an investment that I'm making into lives of you. Listen, I don't want to have people in my house. It's okay if you don't want to have people in your house. You're just going to have to start. Because you've now got a seat in his house. And because he gave me a seat in his house, I've got to create a seat for somebody else in my house. So I can create some space at the table. I can create. These are all just a metaphor for your life. Second thing, it's going to get exciting in a moment. He makes me generous. When he takes me from a prisoner into prosperity, he makes me generous. Because the more that I look like him, the more that I act like him, the more that I love the way that he does, I realize that God so loved the world that he gave. And so he makes me generous. He makes me care about the fatherless and the widow and those who can't, because he's just transformed. You you might even find yourself in this new season where you're like, I just care about people that I didn't really care about uh, before. I just care about this group of people. That's because God is doing something in you. He's transforming you uh, from the inside out. He's transforming your mind. Romans 12 says uh, that he's literally transforming you. He's transforming the way that you think. And he's helping you overcome the customs and rituals of the world that have kept you trapped, that have kept you a slave. And he's giving you a new way to think and a new way to love and a new way to process. He's making you relationally rich and he's making you generous. Now, this is where it gets wild. Uh, Not only is he making you generous, he makes me generous as he leads me from prisoner to prosperity. But he causes generosity to come to me. And you're like, see, I told you we can't come here. Prosperity. No, no, Bible. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So as I'm being generous, generosity begins to come towards me. It's a principle of God. I'm reaping a harvest that I sowed. When I created relational room and space for others, I planted a seed. I'm going to reap a harvest. So others will create relational space for me. It's just, it's just, the, it's just God's economy. It's just the justice of God. Uh, the scripture says this in Proverbs 11, that God refreshes those who refreshes others. He refreshes those that refreshes others. It's just his plan and to set me free, to lead me into a new era of prosperity, of life, life, love to abundant. As I become generous, as I sow seeds, as I become relationally rich, he causes those things to come back to me. Number three, he gives me freedom from sin. That's prosperity. Because it's freedom. It's freedom from sin. I don't know if you know this, but before you followed Jesus, you didn't have a choice. Once you started following Jesus, you got a choice. And then, when you don't have the strength on your own, again, scripture, he says, in my weakness, I am made strong. He is strongest in my weakness. So he gives me the supernatural ability to overcome sin. Your willpower is great, but it's not enough. But you have a choice now. You have a choice now. 
you have a willful choice. If you choose to continue to live in that lifestyle, to live in that pattern, listen, you might say, listen, you don't understand. I'm born like this. I do understand that. But what I also understand is to follow Jesus when you invite him in that you become born again. Harrison.chaka at kingdomchurch.com. Freedom from sin. He gives us freedom. I don't even know that's your email. Uh, Freedom. (laughs) Complaints at saintschurch.ca. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but freedom from sin is important because sin is a contributing factor to worry and anxiety. Romans 8, verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Number four. You still with me? Number four. He gives you the greatest thing that he could ever give you to lead you from prison to prosperity. His presence and his glory. His presence, the weight of his glory, the fullness of who he is. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. That's what he's doing right now. He's making known to you the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we're talking about the presence of God, we are are talking about the manifest presence of God. What happens when God shows up in a space like this, but it's not limited or confined to a space like this? We're talking about what God shows up in general and God can show up in a spectacular way in your home, in your living room, in your car. I pray in my car. I put AirPods in and I pray out loud so people don't think I'm crazy. They think I'm talking on the phone. But I talk to Jesus like he's sitting right there. Sometimes I'm yelling. Sometimes we're just talking. Sometimes I'm listening because most of the time we've made prayer about us saying something, we forget that he's speaking back. But he can show up, and when he shows up, it's not about what he wants to do, it's about who he is. See, we were talking earlier about what's in a name. Malachi, messenger of God, come on, what a name. Have you ever thought about what's in God's name? Like, no, it's three letters, there's not a lot, G-O-D. Yeah, but that's, that's not his name. That's what we have ascribed to him from our limited perspective. That's not who he is. It's not his personal name. We discovered his personal name in Exodus 34 when passing by says, Yahweh. Now, that's Y-H-W-H, there's no vowels. You might have also heard Jehovah. That's actually the same. Yahweh and Jehovah is just bad transliteration, really. But it's a great song from Elevation. Jehovah Nisi fights my battles. You know, I love that. You're like, I don't even know what Jehovah Nisi means, but I'm into it. I love (laughs) See, in the Old Testament, 
God went by many more names. People gave him all kinds of names, and those names actually described his attributes. They described his character. So if you want to understand the whole counsel of God about God, you have to understand what's in the name. Well, what's in the name is so much more than you could ask, think, or imagine, or dream, because we're not just talking about G-O-D. We're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about God Almighty. And so they use all kinds of names in Scripture, and it's unfortunate that when we read Scripture that we read the word God or Lord because there's so much more. Let me give you a taste, and you're going to see it up here. Uh, for example, uh, he, he's known as El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, the all-sufficient one. He's known as El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord and Master. Adonai alone shows up 419 times in the Old Testament. El Olam, the everlasting God. Elohim, God. Kana, he is jealous. He's pursuing you. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for your heart. Yahweh occurs 6,519 times in the Old Testament. The chief meaning of Yahweh or Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew word hava, meaning to be or to exist. It also suggests to become or specifically to become known. This denotes, denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. To be known. God, to be known as healer, provider, defender, protector, everlasting from age to age, from alpha, omega, beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come, whoever will be. But that's not it. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner or my refuge. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd. Now here's what's amazing. You love Psalm 23, right? Anyone, any Psalm 23 fans? Like it's the banger of all bangers. It's the ultimate. You don't know what to say, Psalm 23. You don't know what to do, Psalm 23. You're going to funeral, Psalm 23. Someone's born, Psalm 23. Difficult season, Psalm 23. You're happy, Psalm 23. You're tired. He makes me lie down. Come on. You're having a relational difficult season. Uh, He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hold on, Lord. (laughs) Go to verse 6. Surely his goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I like that part, not that other part. Psalm 23. See, when you read Psalm 23, you read the Lord is my shepherd. And you're like, that's a nice saying. That's a nice poem. That's a nice thought. That's not a saying. It's not a line. It's not a descriptor. It's his name. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Come on, you need, you need healing in your life, in your physical body. We just call on his name who he is. When we gather here, here's here's what's crazy. You get the fullness of God when you gather. When he meets you, when you're alone, or when you're gathered, you get the fullness of God. You get all of him. Even if you don't fully understand all of it. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. In other words, the Lord is here. It's his felt presence. It's just like, whoa, he's right here, right now. When God shows up, everything changes. Why? Because his fullness shows up. And if his fullness shows up, then he has all that you need because he is more than enough. He is everything. So you show up here and you say, you know what? I just need a miracle in my life. I need a healing in my life. Well, I call on the name of the Lord Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. I call on his name and all I have to do is whisper his name and he's here and he's right here. He's right now. The truth is, every Sunday you gather in this place, you come here to worship, you should be expecting signs, wonders, and miracles because God is here. You're like, no, I need to wait for that evangelist to come through and lay my hands on me. No, 
I mean, that's good, but God's right here right now. He's closer than you think. And he's everything. He always has been. He always will be. He's revealing himself to you in a new way. Even today, he's revealing himself to you in a new way. Because you thought when we talked about healing, we only talked about physical healing, but he wants to heal your heart, your mind, and your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, every part of who you are, he can bring healing. He can heal your relationships. He can heal your family. He can, he can do it all. It's who he is. Jehovah Sekinu, the Lord our righteousness. Next one, next slide. Jehovah that one, because I can't say it. The Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Someone need peace? He's here. He's closer than you think. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Here's my final thought, because Amy's here, and when the keys play, it says stop talking. That's what that means. It's time to land the plane. Jehovah, stop talking. That's the, the keyboards. As a as he leads us from our prison chains into prosperity, what he's actually doing is he is leading us into a contented place. He's leading us to a contented place. Why? Because he is our all in all. He is more than enough. He is all that we need. He's leading us into a contented place. That's what it is to truly be in prosperity is to live a contented life in a contented place. Our souls are discontented because we have all kinds of other pursuits. And then, I don't know if you noticed the second half of that verse, it says, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Oof. Other translation says sun-scorched land. Other translation says a dry place. It's describing somebody who does not have a relationship with Jesus. Those who live without him live in a sun-scorched land, a parched place full of discontent, and they live desperate for a drink, but they will never have enough because only Jesus is enough. So to live with Jesus is to live from a contented place. To live without Jesus is to live in a discontented place. You go, but I still got, I still got some discontent in my life and I'm following Jesus. I'm so glad that you said that. See, because this is a place of surrender. This is a place of trust. This is a place of drawing near. That's, that's what we're doing here. We're drawing near. We say, God, I'll come close to you. You come close to me. I'm going to meet you at home. I'm going to meet you at church. I'm going to meet you in the car. I'm going to draw near. God, would you please draw near to me? And as we call out to him, we begin to trust him more because we trust him more because we see him reveal himself in so many ways. And we see his faithfulness and we see his goodness time after time, moment after moment. We just see it happen. And then we draw near and we draw even closer. And then we surrender and we give more of ourselves to him. Can I tell you this? If you're a follower of Jesus, dissatisfaction or discontentedness, discontentment could be, no, scratch that. Discontentment is a symptom. And it's showing you an area of your life that you have not yet surrendered. I'm really dissatisfied in this area. I'm dissatisfied in my business. That's because that's yours and it's not his. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place?
here's what I want us to do in a place of surrender. It's a safe place. It's his presence. John 1 describes Jesus as a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So we're gonna invite Jesus to shine his light into our hearts right now. And we're gonna ask him to highlight those discontented areas, those areas that we have yet to surrender. We're gonna ask him to make it obvious to us right here in this moment. And I'm gonna encourage you to take the next 30 seconds and begin to surrender those things to him. Come on, why don't you do that right now? Jesus, shine your light into my heart and highlight to me the areas I have not yet surrendered. As these things are coming to your heart and your mind, now just start naming them and giving them to the Lord. God, I give you this. I give you my career. I give you my relationships. I give you my lack of relationships. Because I don't trust you that you can provide someone for me. Come on, whatever it is. Just give it to him right now. Maybe you're in the room and you've not yet invited Jesus into your life. And you're searching for something, you're looking for something, and, and you find momentary seasons of, of contentment, but you realize it's all a facade, and you're looking for a deeper sense of knowing, you're looking for a deeper sense of purpose, you're looking for a deeper sense of, of peace. Can I tell you, you're not going to find it in a what, you're going to find it in a who, and his name is Jesus. So if you're here today, you're anywhere within the sound of my voice, you're watching on a live stream, wherever you might be right now, this is your burning bush moment where God is just trying to get your attention, saying, this is a sign. This is a sign. You've been looking for a sign. This is a sign right now that God is closer than you think. And if you let him, he'll change everything. All he asks is that you give your whole heart to him. You give your life to him. So if you're in the room or you're online, you say, that's me. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's your first time. You say, yeah, that's me. I've been looking for something. <laughs> Maybe you've walked away for a significant period of time and you're just coming back and you, you just want to say, yeah, that's me. I, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. Or maybe, just maybe, you've grown up in a place of religion. You didn't realize that the God of the universe was actually looking for a relationship, not religious order. So if you're here today, and you say, I want to invite Jesus into my life to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to be free from sin. I want to become relationally rich. I want to live a new life of generosity. And I want to experience the fullness of his goodness in every season of my life where I could be contented and I could be truly loved. If that's you, I'm going to count down from three. When I get to one, you just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, I want to invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just give me a wave in three two, one, quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? All right, we're gonna pray this prayer together. And I want this whole room just to repeat after me. Why? Because we're a family and we create some room at the family table. This moment is about creating some room at the family table.
as our friends and family. Join the family of God. We're making room. You need to know that you're joining a family, that there's a place here for you. Repeat this prayer after me. We say, dear Jesus. Come on, we'll turn up the volume. Say, dear Jesus, I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything. My wins and my losses. My sins and my successes. They're all yours. From this moment forward, I'm following you one step at a time. Jesus, forgive me for going my own way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Hey, can we give a big round of applause for those who prayed that prayer the very first time? Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.